Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. You uh, remember last week? Oh, actually, maybe you don't. Recall's not actually your best thing. Hey, Senda. So last week we talked about uh, the GM brain and we didn't finish the conversation. So we're going to finish it today. Uh, Cue music. Welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts who was on part one of this topic, Phil. And I am your other host who was also on part one of this topic, Senda. I don't feel like you gave me a real option for an opposite. I didn't. In that. No, no, you, you, <laughs> look, your skill, you always know where look, we're going. You follow, look, you follow great. Yeah. Okay. Good well, job. collaboration is, is one of my strong suits. So. Yes. Um, cool. Anyway, if you are coming back for part two, welcome back. If you missed part one, just a heads up, this is part two. Um, and we are continuing to talk about GM brains. I'm just going to take a snippet of our, um, the topic request from last week to just kind of refresh everyone. So here's what, where we started, right? And we're still going. So the question was, how does one find the right game for their GM brain? Or more specifically, what are the criteria or sliders or whatever that need to be considered about how their brain works relative to games in order to know what to look for in a brain that's so supports them in being the best GM that they can be. What to look for in a game. Did I say in a brain? <laughs> in a brain. Leave it. It's great. I love it. All right. Good. Ooh, now, boy. <laughs> let me, by way of recap, and I'm going to try to do this very quickly because we want to actually spend our bulk of our time talking about new stuff. Let me quick recap for you from last week what we talked about about the GM brain, right? We, we divided the GM brain into a model consisting of four sections. The creative section, which covers things like storytelling and improv gaming, designing scenarios, creating NPC descriptions, creating setting material. The analytical, which is things like uh, combat tactics, making rulings, creating complex NPCs, the mechanical part of that, creating encounters, Executive, organizing the game session, prepping your game notes, managing a table with a whole bunch of stuff on it, and recall the, abil the ability to remember rules and the ability to remember settings. Cool. So we talked about two different ways to look at them. Um, the things that we are good at versus the things that we struggle with. And then we also talked about the things that give us energy and the things that drain our energy. And uh, the quick recap on that is you may remember or think that the good things give you energy and the things we struggle with drain our energy. And that might be true, but you can also have things that you are good at that drain your energy or things that give you energy that you struggle with, right? Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. that's a, it's a, it's quadrants. Yep. So yeah, uh, consider keep those in mind, right? So last week we went kind of deep into that, and we talked about how to start figuring that out for yourself, right? Some introspection along those axes and with those four sections, and that was going to kind of help you understand your GM brain. And along the way, we used a bunch of examples for things that we are good at versus things we struggle with and things that give us energy and things that drain our energy, we're going to carry them over into today's discussion as we continue this topic. Um, so what we're going to do for today is we're going to tackle three things. One, we're going to uh, pick up with uh, your GM style and how it affects, how it is affected by your GM brain. Um, so we're going to talk about that because style is a little different than game. And that's important to realize because style is a thing that you can kind of imprint onto any game you play, as opposed to the rules of a game, which kind of are specific to that game. Then we are going to talk about how to evaluate games, right? In the previous episode, we kind of talked about things that, um, we like and don't like for different games, but now we're going to talk about like, what do you do if you pick up a new game? How do you evaluate it in relation to your GM brain? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, we're going to talk about supplementing your GM brain because there are things you can do or buy that will actually help um, with parts of your GM brain that are not necessarily part of your 
style or part of the game that you're playing. Yep. Okie cool. dokie. Let's do it. We'll see if we get through it all in part two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. So um, just to start off, right, the GM style, your GM style is the way that you personally run games. And that is something that is independent of the game that you are actually playing, right? Um, a lot of a lot of the things that you do to run a game, you will take from game to game to game, right? Yeah. In- interestingly, it's this... Um it, it, it's interesting. It, I wrote it as independent and it, and it is to an extent, right? For the reason yeah. you said that you take it from game to game to game, but it also is shaped by the game that you're playing, right? Because the game that you're playing is going to have certain needs and is going to be run, want to be run a certain way. So sometimes those two things kind of line up directly, right? There, but sometimes they kind of clash a little with each other. And depending on your preference, some people, when they clash, will side with the game and they'll kind of change their style and, and run it the way the game is. And other people will just kind of ignore the game and mm-hmm. run it the way they like to run it, right? I'm feeling neither one called is, out. <laughs> no, neither one is wrong, right? But that's what happens when we kind of reach one of those um, one of those places where we're not in alignment, Can I offer a metaphor for this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's jumping out in my head. If your style is the cookie dough and the game is the cookie cutter, there are um, kinds of dough that will be more easily cut by different kinds of cookie cutters. And you can put a lot of different kinds of flavors of dough. You can cut them with different cookie cutters. It doesn't matter. But if you try to do a basic chocolate chip cookie that's a drop cookie and then use a cookie cutter on it, they're not going to work very well together at all. They're going to fight each other. You're going to fight with them and be sad. Um, But also if you're doing gingerbread or sugar cookies or whatever, you can cut that with any cutter you want, right? So um, a mix and match of um, how things fit together and how well they fit together and how smoothly they fit together. Um, But you do shape your style, of course, into that game to a certain extent you have to, right? Yes, but also I'm now, like I now Hungry. (laughs) As you say this, I'm like in my head, I'm like, I think I have chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) Like... I think I could just make a batch of chocolate chip cookies. I could just make some chocolate chip cookie. I was literally also thinking to myself, boy, I could just make some chocolate chip cookies. I might just, I think I'm still getting ice cream today, but I think I might just go do that later. Anyway, um, (laughs) let let me get us back on topic because cookies has now really distracted me. It is an excellent (laughs) metaphor, but I'm kind of hungry. And now talking about it, I'm really thinking about cookies. Yep. All right. Good. Mm, Because sometimes, no, all right, stop. Okay. All right. So yes. So here's the thing, right? Your GM brain is definitely affecting your GM style. Now, there are two ways it could do that. Consciously, like Mm -hmm. you can take ownership of it and you can say, hey, if my brain acts this way, what should I do style wise to make that work? And then inadvertently, you have over the years, if you have not taken ownership of this, you have just kind of figured this out. Mm -hmm. And to some greater or lesser extent, depending on how much struggle you are having GMing. Yes. Right. I am old. I have GMed for many decades. Right. I eventually stumbled onto things that now work for me. But the reason we're having this conversation today is you could take the reins of that and you can say, I am not good at X. I struggle with X. Therefore, my GMing style is going to do Y to compensate for that. Yeah. And if someone had had this conversation with me years and years and years and years and years and years ago, right? Um, it probably wouldn't have taken me so long to stumble into the Correct. concept of improv GMing or the concept of games that that support improv GMing, right? Yep. Yeah. And I think, and I think I'll just sidebar real quick before we dive back into this. I think this is a really important point when we talk about GMing advice. A lot of people will be like, some uh, the naysayers will be like, you just figure it out. You can just sure. figure it out. I it, it, uh, 40 I years did. later, I've yeah. just figured out, you know, a, a yeah. whole bunch of this. You also don't have to just figure it out, right? Yeah. You can be <laughs> proactive in honing your GMing skills. That's what we're here for. Okay. Yeah. 
off my soapbox. Sure. So <laughs> let's talk about our GM brains again. And yeah. let's talk about how they influence our GM style. And remember, when I say style, we're talking about the thing that transcends what game we're playing, what rules, what the rules demand of our GMing style. Yes. All right. We'll ping pong through this. I'm going to start with... Um, I'm going to start with my my like, right? Last week I talked about a thing that I'm good at, right? I am good at prep. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I do it a lot. Um, and I've got it down to a pretty good, you know, um, amount of prep versus how much play I get out of it, right? My ratio is like um, something like one hour to two to three hours. Like one hour of prep gets me two to three hours worth of play. Yeah, I'm very good with that. Okay. So in my GMing style over the years, I have a prep, I, I, I want to say system. I have a prep system slash style that I've developed. Like I am predominantly bullet points, uh, headers, bullet points, that kind of thing. I have things like I always put a business um, header at the top of my notes to remember to go over things like experience points or what other like pre-game business we have to have, um, those kinds of things. I have like a little, I have a system for how I prep during the week. Um, and then also as part of my GMing style, I love doing research for the games I'm prepping. So when I'm prepping anything that takes place in the real world or tangential to the real world, I can't just make up a thing. Like I won't just be like, oh, there's an intersection in New York city. Like I will go to Google, I will go to Google earth and I will find an intersection. Right. And then I will pull that into um, our discussion. Like for our, um, for the queen game, uh, I do this really interesting miss like combination of, I go and find like historical maps of like certain parts of France, like, I found historical maps of La Harve, France, because that was where one of your missions took place. Mm-hmm. But then I also like when I needed names for some of the locations, I went to Google Earth for modern uh, France and pulled actual restaurant names. Yeah, that currently out. exist. Yeah, exactly. And then mashed them together. And then I'll just tell and, the story. And yep. the mine, right? Like there's a mine Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like that obviously was, I mean, it might have been there, but it certainly didn't look like it does now. Oh, I'm sorry. We you're I'm, I was, you're talking about um, not La Oh, Harve. I'm thinking about, um, sorry, different mission. Keep going. Yeah, you're thinking about the uh, place in the South. Yes. But yes, like I actually sat with Google Earth and found a place that was like, oh, I actually looked at pictures and was like, oh, that's a cave. Oh, I'm going to use that as my location. Yeah. And that adds time to my prep, but I like it. And I like the authenticity of it. Um, The last one I'll tell is probably one of the most ridiculous and in a post 9-11 would have gotten me a visit from the FBI. (laughs) Um, I was writing this Connex game about the uh, about an alien conspiracy where they wanted to wipe out um, America's breadbasket. Right. So Iowa, like where all, you know, that area, right, like through Iowa, where all the grain for making wheat and stuff like that is. And they had the specific wheat blight. And the plan was to derail a train in the middle of Iowa to release this. So I did a little research and I was like, OK, that's cool. I could have left it there. Right. I could have just been like, sure, that's the thing. Um but I called a train shipping company and inquired about how long it would take to get a train car with, you know, like one of those liquid train cars, the ones that hold liquids, how long it would take to get from Los Angeles to Chicago going through Iowa. Right. And, and then using that roughly figured out how many days it would take to get to Iowa. I did not need to do that. I could have just said on the third day just, it arrives in Iowa. Right, it just made it up, right? Just but come up with a number. It seems reasonable. But it's the thing I like to do, right? Makes me happy. Okay, yeah. that's part especially, of my GMing es- style. Especially in in the, not just post-11, but in the post-actual um, train issues <laughs> that have released noxious chemicals into communities like not that long ago. Anyway. <laughs> my search history, my search history, I'm routinely scared will put me on a TSA no fly list. Um, no, so, I know. Right. Exactly. Anyway, um, <laughs> tell me, tell me like the thing that you are good at and how it has shaped your style. 
Yeah. So um, I'm good at improv jamming. This is one of those places where we um, tend to lean in in uh, opposite directions, although we can both kind of do the other way. It's like, if you leave me to my own devices, I'm always going to improv jam, right? Um, the reason that that style is what works for me and the reason that I tend to go that way is because it doesn't require me to recall things from um, sources that I find challenging, right? Sure. Especially if we talk about one shots, right? Like when we're talking about one shots, we're talking about like Senda shows up with a single page game and writes down three, three words or whatever, right? And then we play the game for two to four hours. And that's just what we do. And that's, that's kind of the expectation from me going into that game. Um, but it, it is specifically about not having to recall the types of details that are hard for me to recall um, from both rules books and from um, prepped adventures or settings, right? Like uh, one thing I also don't do is um, even though I have spent a lot of time with the Lord of the Rings, for example, not the movies, we're not going to have that conversation moving right along, um, but the books, right? Um, but I will never run a game in the Lord of the Rings, like, uh, because even though it's been such a really important part of my life, there is no way that my recall is good enough to play it with people who have picture perfect recall of those, um, books or settings, et cetera, right? Like, have I read a bunch of the books? Absolutely. Do I remember all the details? No, absolutely not. Do I remember the details of the book that I finished two weeks ago? Not really. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, if we ever do want to play Lord of the Rings, sure, we should play together because yeah. I am actually not very adept at the Lord of the Rings setting. Sure. So like you won't have to run afoul of me being like, nope, <laughs> like, it's not like that. That's not uh, where that we was. Could just, Elves we don't could do just that. Read, yeah. We could just read the rules sure. and just play it. Yeah. Like, I've seen the movies. I know roughly what's going idea, on. Right. Like you got the genre idea. I got the genre. It. I got the gist of it. We sure. could we could play together because I definitely am not going to be your hindrance. Right. Like I could do that, right? Yeah. Like that actually would be I fun. Can, I can write a story in that style, but if you start expecting me to remember no. um, you know, the the lineage of the Proudfoots or something, like we're not gonna that's not gonna work. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So bouncing back to me, um, yes. something I get energy from, right? Because again, mm -hmm. this is a thing that's going to feed into my style, right? Something I'm going to get yes. energy from. Um, I get energy from improv GMing. Yeah. And the way that has affected my GM style is, and this is a, this was very deliberate, um, and this is a thing I learned from Dogs in the Vineyard, right, is when I GM, I only create the problems that the players will run into. And I never write down the solutions so that I have to improv like improv GM with the players as they are solving the problems. Mm -hmm. And I, that part for me is enjoyable. I don't in the sweet spot for me, I love having the question slash problems written down, prepped, and then play to find out mm -hmm. the solutions. I am less enamored to not know what the questions are and then improv the solutions as well. So for me, that sweet spot and where my jamming style has landed is into this thing where I create problems and usually my problems are some sort of either objective or question. And then I stop. Yeah. And I just, I stop and say, okay, well, the players will figure out how they're going to break in. The players will figure out how they're going to get out of country. The play yep. you like, and then we play that part because to me, that's the fun part. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's definitely, that is, that is a thing that has had a huge impact in the last 10 years on my GMing style. That, that concept right there. Yeah. Which is a good I one. Definitely did not do it in the past. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get energy from collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is actually a logical follow through from um, improv GMing. Like, fortunately for me, these two things do go hand in hand, right? Um, so from a style perspective, what that means is that um, I very frequently source the table. Um, 
and we collaborate on what is the coolest thing that could happen next, right? Like I don't rely on myself to always have the answer. Um, I will ask people absolutely any question, right? There is no part of my story that is sacrosanct and can't be affected by someone else's really cool idea because I didn't plan it yet. So if their idea is cooler than mine, I want it because it's even better. So um, the, the style result end point for that is just that I'm constantly asking people essentially for their input at the table, both in terms of, of course, their actual character actions, but in terms of the world around them too, or um, in terms of even things like what went wrong or, um, you know, some of the more typical ones like there's an inn in town, what is it called? Um, But also really just like, and this happens, what do you think? Or, um, you know, what's the coolest thing? Or this is a fun one too. And this is a stylistic thing for me. When people are playing my games, they will frequently chatter about things that are genre specific. And so sometimes they will say things like, oh man, that dead person is totally going to come back and haunt us at the end of this, aren't they? And I jot down a note, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then they do, right? Like, because you just actually improv an idea for me and I didn't even ask you. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) That's a whole thing for me too. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, um, just to wrap this section up, right. If you are trying to improve a skill that you are struggling with, right. Um, you will sometimes need to move out of the comfort zone of your GMing style. Sure. Yeah. Right. So like when I learned improv GMing, um, I was pretty uncomfortable behind the screen for a little while. Um, because I did not, I had not reached the kind of part prep, part improv. Like I, yeah. in order to learn it, yes. I learned it, right? Yes. I just went in cold and played a bunch of things. Trial it, by fire. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it was the true, it was the truest, fastest way to skill up. Right. Yeah. And, um, it, and not that I didn't have fun with those games and not that those games weren't enjoyable or all those things, but they were somewhat energy draining and eventually like the first couple were very energy draining but satisfying and then over time they became less energy draining and eventually energy giving yeah and then that's like then at that point it became a thing that like one it was energy giving and two I had gotten better at but the point is if you are eyeing up something that you would like to become better at and you have a current GM style, you may have to uh, alter your style temporarily to make a space to work on that skill. Yeah. Cause you may, your style may have walled off that problem. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like I used to wall off that problem by prepping the shit out of everything. Yes. <laughs> right. So like in order to not do that, I had to go against my um, that style at the time and not prep everything and yeah. to the point of not prep anything. Yes. Yeah. OK. All cool. right. So that's that's your brain. Right. That uh, That's your style. Now, the crux, I think really where the rubber meets the road on this is now knowing about your brain, now knowing how it affects your jamming style, how do you pick up a game and know if it's a good fit? Mm-hmm. Right. So what did we say last week? Cause we had a little bit of advice on this last week, but we're going to get deeper on it. Yeah. We're going to dig in. Yeah. So we said, um, we actually said this will be a little bit obvious. And, and sometimes it is, right? Sometimes less, sometimes more. But what we want to do is find games that support us in the things we struggle with or avoid them completely, depending right. on what, you know, what is easier to find. That is a form of support. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> that take advantage of the things that we are already good at. Um, again, if your GM style, if you're trying to change it, you may have to go against this one, right? You may have to lean into the the discomfort. Um, but, and then the last one is also things that give us more energy than they take away. Yep. Yeah. So how do we actually approach making these evaluations? Yeah. So we can't tell, like, we can't do this for every potential strength and weakness for every quadrant of that, you know, brain that we, that we, um, brain model that we created. Yeah. So, we're going to have to do what we've been doing all along is we're going to take our examples 
and explain to you how when we open up games, when we look at a page on itch or drive through or when I look at a Kickstarter um, or if I'm in a store and I pick up a book, mm-hmm. how do we make those evaluations? Yeah. Okay, so just like before, we're going to ping pong through these. Um, I will jump in with the first one. This is my like, right, which is prep. Now, mm-hmm. prep is kind of independent of most games, right? It is, Like yeah. <laughs> You're going to prep. Like, if, you're, if you are going to prep, you're going to prep whatever game you have. But what I do check is I look for the sample adventure in the game provided. And, and the reason why I do that is because the sample adventure shows you what the designers prepped for the adventure. This will inform me of the kinds of things I may need to consider. So, for instance, I'm playing Cyberpunk Red and I can see that one of the things I now have to prep in Cyberpunk Red is a net architecture. Right. When there's a computer around, I need to make sure that I design a net architecture that is in now a, a thing that is in addition to all the other things I have to create in the story. This is another type of and it's kind of like an NPC, right? It, it's the computer system. Um, but I see that, right? I see how they, you know, I see how they set theirs up. Um, I also look in the rules and see that they have some um random tables for how to do it. And that is also a plus, right? Like, okay, well, I have to do this. And they've put a tool in to help me prep it if I'm not feeling overly creative at the moment. Excellent. Thumbs up. Uh, Not too many game books will tell you specifically how to prep their games. I think as a designer, that is uh, space that could be (laughs) filled in. But I will give a special shout out to Knights Black Agents where um, Ken Height did actually dedicate a chapter to how to research European cities. And again, the book kind of dates itself because when you read some of the sources, they're a little bit dated now. But to Ken's credit, Ken was like, not everybody is going to know how to research the locations and parts of these, you know, European cities that kind of make this Jason Bourne versus vampire game. I will explain to you how I do it. And that was huge. Like, not a lot of games say, hey, you want to prep a game? Come here, let me sit you down and show you how we think it should be done. Now do it for your, you know, like now use your own style for it. So um, when I find a chapter like that, I'm always like, like eyebrow raised, like that's special. Mm-hmm. Hat tip moment. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So for me, for improv GMing, um, the first thing that I like to see in a game that I know that just means I know it's probably going to work for me is any game that has the construction of what's going on, right? So like if you think about Lasers and Feelings is a very easy example or Love and Justice, which of course is based on Lasers and Feelings. Um, When you have a pick list of like Mad Libs construction for what's happening in your game or you roll on a table for that to say, you know, the, the, um, the company is, you know, going after the such and such to achieve the thingy, you know, um, and you fill in those blanks. Um, that is a, that is a very strong tip that this is going to work as a, an, an, an improv game, right? Because it, from that point is intended to be, here's what's happening. Here's the motivation. Now go. Um, when I have a game that doesn't give me that, that tends to be about the amount of thought and um, in terms of actual written prep, that tends to be about the amount of prep that I will do for a game, right? Is that I will write down so that I know what's going on and I'll basically construct that for myself. But games that have it already, I love those and they tend to be one shots and I'm I'm fine with that, right? Um, the next thing that I'll also tend to look for is tools that tell the GM when they can take an action or may have a, a pick list of what kinds of actions to take in those scenarios. Um, we've talked about this before, and I don't remember how long it's been, but the concept that it is easier to be creative within specific constraints than if your creativity can encompass the literal anything. And so having those sort of limits on the sandbox of, of what you're doing um, can make it easier to come up with thoughts and ideas that work on the fly and that stay in genre. So I'm actually specifically kind of pointing at PBTA for this one. It's part of the reason I play um, a lot of PBTA games. 
as a GM, it gives you a lot of tools to facilitate you being able to come up with this stuff on the fly and it still be genre emulation in genre, fun and cool. And, you know, all of those things from a story perspective. Um, it also tends to be easier for me to improv GM with games that have a strong sense of self right? Um, it is harder to GM a game that is a very broad, you could do anything game. Again, this is about creative constraints, right? It is much easier to GM a game that has clear genre emulation or a specific story type, whatever that looks like, or a clear merger, you know, of two things, um, like Chimera. You're welcome, Ryan. Um, that, uh, that, you know, just have clear, tropes that you can mm -hmm. lean on or pull on as an improv GM just to bring everybody together. Um, so the more specific a game is, the easier I know generally it will be for me to run it at the table um, when it's a genre that I'm familiar with, right? So that is actually something else that I specifically look for is that I like specifically pointed games um, versus games that are super broad. I have never played GURPS, but I also imagine that it would be very difficult to improv GM a game like that. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I don't remember, <laughs> but I do remember it being kind of fiddly. But I don't know. I'm sure a I'm sure there's a GURPS master out there that would be like, it's a piece there's, of cake. Right, like, like there's totally people who are just so familiar and steeped in 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 stuff that it would be very easy for them. Um, that's not me, but it, it, you know, probably overlaps with my next one. But anyway, tell me about um, the next one for you, which is the thing you struggle with. Yeah, I struggle with tactics, right? I don't love tactics. So when I pick up a game, um, I jump to the combat section of the game and start skimming it, right? First of all, how big is your combat section? That is yes. the first <laughs> indication to me of like how fiddly, how much tactics are going to be a part of this game. Um, is there a, you know, first of all, is there a preference to use maps? Like if, if a game is like, oh, you could do it theater of mind, but you know, we highly recommend use maps. That's a big strike for me right there. Right. That's, yeah. um, that's telling me that position and all of that stuff is going to be way more important than kind of narratively going through that. But most games don't have that. I don't usually run into that, but what I do look at is how big is your combat chapter? Um, how many options are in that combat chapter? Right. Just like quick look through, like, are there all sorts of moves and maneuvers? Like if there are a couple stock ones, like my cyberpunk red has like, you know, automatic fire, suppressive fire, shotguns, grenades, right? It's getting up there for me, but those are pretty standard. Like you would expect a, a cyberpunk game to have need of those things, but then are there subsystems? Yeah. Is there now a separate vehicle combat system? Is there a spaceship combat system? The original uh, D20 Star Wars, not the saga one, but the D20 Star Wars one had like three separate chapters for uh, character combat, vehicle combat, spaceship combat. And I was like, uh, this is already too much. Now, conversely, if a game has a has rules that are fractal which is like oh in fate like your mech is just a character sheet with different numbers or bigger yeah. numbers or whatever yeah. and it's the same set of rules like it's you know then that's a big check for me right because yeah. that tells me that like i now don't need to learn a whole other system that the general combat system is the same and you just change the stats depending on the thing you're in. Uh, that's a lot easier for me. That's very much palatable uh, to me. So yeah, those are the kinds of things like I'm evaluating your combat system to see if I want to get into it. And I will be honest that low level D and D is um, fine for me. High level D and D is not. Yeah. 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 When you start hitting all the, the wild magic and the yes. I'm implementing these three feats at the same time and this is how they interact with each other. Correct. When the yeah. system is simpler, it I can handle it fine. And then as it gets upward, I become less interested. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Cool. Uh, tell me about uh, recall, right? Yeah. We know it's the thing you struggle with. <laughs> sure. Tell me about, we're tell just me gonna, about how We're going to keep talking about it because uh, it is a thing that I really do struggle with. Um, so for me... Um, part of what I immediately judge when I pick up a book um, is, 
it's partially how long is the book to begin with, right? And how big is the book to begin with? I definitely, when I first got into role-playing, um, you know, had read the player's handbook for third edition and 3.5 um, cover to cover, maybe not all the spells, but practically everything else, you know, and I was very familiar with the the um, the parts of the DMG that I used, which was basically the magical uh, stuff section, um, but not so much some of the rest of it. But, you know, post, post D&D for me in my life, I don't have a lot of interest in spending the amount of time and, and energy that it takes me personally because of my brain to really um, internalize that level of content, like that much content, right? And so for me, uh, that's also the reason I, I frequently understand when people are like, oh man, you know, role-playing games seem really cool, but they also seem really hard to get into. And then they see, you know, these textbooks sitting on the shelf and I'm like, yeah, I understand why that's intimidating, right? Um, anyway, so that's that's my struggle, right? So firstly, how long is the book? Secondly, um, how much of that book is committed to, again, rules like kind of like Phil was looking at for tactical, right? Like how many skills are we talking about? How do we deal with skill stuff? How big is the combat section? Because how many of those there are and how big those sections are will inform me how detailed rules are for each of those situations. And then the other part, it's harder to really Sometimes you can tell looking at a book, sometimes you can't, but it is something I can usually figure out pretty quickly if I kind of play a test run is, um, are the rules logical enough to me that I can re-extrapolate the correct answer or something really close, um, to a rules question if I don't remember it, right? So if I can just implement a thing that still feels like the game and accomplishes the right purpose without having to remember every single detail on every single page. Like I'm in huge green flag, right? <laughs> I, I will say um, along those same lines, right? A game that has a really strong uh, core system. Yes. That everything else is kind of just a derivation of that core system. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's makes, what I mean. Makes yeah. that really flexible. It makes it so much easier and and it makes it it makes it easy to then apply specific detailed things. So like if we're talking about cortex, like I know how the dice work. And now mm -hmm. like once I kind of wrapped my brain around how the dice work, like I don't always remember the difference between some of the ways that the roles work contests versus, sure. um, you know, a check versus whatever. And, and like, that's okay because I understand how the dice work and we can manipulate that with all the mods, right? Yeah. Um, so kind of that kind of thing, right? The other thing that I'll look for is, are there cheat sheets, right? Which like in PBTA, you get like move sheets and stuff. No, no, but in the book, right? Oh, okay. He's giving sure, me sure. an okay, wait a minute. But I'm like in, in the book, right? Are there, um, you know, the, the sort of compressed information in the book for my reference. And PBTA tends to do this, right? Because it tends to have that stuff in the actual book. When I flip through it, I see something like that that tells me I am more likely to want to play this game. Yes, yeah. I didn't want you to get ahead on the supplement part. I was I trying not saying. to, but I'm really am talking about, I pick up the book, I flip through, and if they yeah. have that kind of distillation. Anyway, um, Cool. To uh, avoid a part three on this. I know. I'm trying to hand it off to. We're going to pick up the space. We're okay. going to pick up the space We're going to move more quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, so for improv GMing, right, a thing that gives me energy, right? All games have some level of improv. Of course. Right? So I tend not to worry about like, oh, is this game going to have an improv element? It's going to because my style will also make that happen. Um, some games will go as far to tell you as not to prep anything, right? That's like PBTA. Like, Dungeon World specifically tells you not to prep anything. Um, a fact that when I first got into the game, I hated. Um, and a fact now that I just live with. Um, but I also look for, and I think this is similar along the lines you said, I look for uh, things that have improv prompts. Like I like PBTA games where moves have like pick lists, like yes. pick a thing. Like I like those the best. The ones that are just simply like the GM will tell you how it's going to be worse. Like those are okay, but I really like it much better when there are pick lists. And when I write my own PBTA, PBTA stuff, I always jam pick lists in there because I like people to pick prompts and I like constrained 
Um, I like that constrained creativity. It's the thing I don't like about Forged in the Dark games. Mm-hmm. Because Forged in the Dark open. games are just like, oh, there'll they'll be a consequence for this, but there's no prompts. Yeah. It annoys me. Anyway, it is why it's why I love PBTA games, but Forged in the Dark games, I'm always like, eh, they're okay. Maybe, yeah. And they have a lot of the same t- DNA twisted up in them. Okay, anyway, that's my improv jamming one. Tell me about the thing that gives you energy. Yeah, so back to collaboration, right? So I look for games that reward player participation. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big one. So whether that means Benny's or just like the game intentionally asks people to do things. Sure. Um, and I also look for games where the expectation of a GM or a facilitator is to present obstacles, but not to be adversarial. Right. So be a fan of the players, right. That's, that's the line that um, anyway. Um, and I, because I want to see them challenged, but ultimately succeed. And that's kind of what we're all sitting there to do. Right. Um, and we can do that better together than separately. So I actually was really, to that point, I was actually really excited when I picked up Tales from the Loop. Yeah. Tales from the Loop has a set of principles and one of them is to be a fan of the kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you have stated it. Yeah, <laughs> like, you said it You said it out loud. I know that you want me to run this game in a style that works for yeah. me and my brain. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Tell me uh, your, the thing that makes you spend energy. Right. Creating complex uh, NPCs mechanically, right. Creating the mechanical. I I just like, I have no love for it. Right. So one of the things I look for right away is like, what do you got for NPCs for me? Right. Are there generic bad guys? Like ones that I can just change the, you know, dress, you know, the dressing on and make them work. Are there, um, is there a bestiary or stock of, you know, bad guys for me to use? Um, do you have any tools that are going to help me make opposition? So for instance, a um, couple of examples. So the new Marvel uh, game has a ton of bad guys, right? In the rules. So I don't have to make up stats for um, villains. I can just grab villains from the book. I like that. Yeah. Um, if I look at for, like in Forbidden Lands, if you want to make a monster, they actually have a section of the book that is like a set of random tables that is like a monster builder. Nice. That's like if you kind of have a rough idea of what you want, but you don't really know how to pull the details together, you can kind of go through their like little random tables and whip up a monster. And it was actually a lot of fun to do. Um, I did it for one of I did it for my Forbidden Lands game and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Like I've been able to now make a thing like a monster, but I didn't have to sit here and like become like a fucking master of the mechanics of this game. (laughs) Yes. Nice. Okay. Cool. What about your last one? Yeah, you know, my last one's going to be really quick and easy because it's organizing game sessions. And frankly, there's not much in any book um, that I could pick up off the shelf that is going to help me with wrangling the people from an executive function perspective. So we will address that in our next section. Yeah, it would be nice if the game actually had some rules, like you must all sign a blood oath to like participate <laughs> in this game. Like, like no one is allowed to drop out until the story is complete. <laughs> correct. Like the, like your soul will suffer Jumanji, damage. the TTRPG. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> all right, so now those were some examples. You're going to have to find your own examples to figure that out, right? We, I'm, I Unfortunately, we can't do it for you. Of course, if you ask us some questions, we can try to try to uh, help you, you know, help you out. But that is the gist of it is right. Like pick up the book and with those things in mind, look for certain things, look for the absence of certain things, right? They're going to be your green flag, red flags. Okay. Lastly, what we want to talk about is the truth of the matter is it is hard to find a game that hits every one of your um, spots in terms of high energy, things you like, avoids the things you don't like and avoids draining energy, right? It's really hard to find one that is just all good for you. If the, you do, the keep Goldilocks that game around. Game. Yeah, yeah the keep, absolutely game. keep that game around. Um, but if you really want to play a game that is not the best fit for you, you can get supplements to help fill in the gaps. So that's what we want to end off the show End the show with is talking about how to supplement your GM brain, right? We've got your style. We've talked about the rules, but what else can you do? Yeah. So you can, um, basically you'll, you'll use other things to fill in where the game itself doesn't do it directly. Right. Yep. So this can be 
something that is made by the publisher of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be something that is made by someone else, either specifically to supplement that game or not. Um, Or it could be something homemade that you use as a support structure to specifically fill in for that gap, right? Yeah. And um, let's talk about some of those. I'm going to just run through a couple of quick examples and then we're going to go do our specific examples. GM sheets, game master screens, right? Can be made by the publisher, can be homemade. These things help with recall. Mm-hmm. They put tables and rules in a place where you can see them. Uh, random tables and like random tables, card decks, things like that. Those help with creativity because those help with improv. Mm-hmm. NPCs or monster books help with complex NPCs. Mm-hmm. Published adventures help with prep and creativity. Mm-hmm. Name generators, which is a huge one for me. Me too. Right? Name generators also help with creativity. I'm not very creative when it comes to making up names. And so having name generators is a is a huge plus for me. Yeah, I'm like, okay. wow, I should have put that as my like thing that I'm bad at for this whole time. Anyway. Yeah, I'm terrible at I'm terrible at, terrible at that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> anyway, okay, so going back to our examples, let's talk about supplements that we could find or have used. And I'll start off with prep. Um, one of my um, supplements is the application I use for prep. I have gone through numerous ones over the years and for like the last 10 years have settled in comfortably into OneNote. I'm not saying it's the best one. I'm saying it's the best one for me, but it does the things I like the way I like them. Um, And it facilitates, and this goes to a thing from getting things done. Um, You have to like your tools in order to do the work. If you don't like your tools, you will not be motivated to do the work. So I have an application I love that makes my prep work for me. And so That's the thing I use. And then, of course, if you were looking for a book about prep, Hmm. there wasn't one back when I needed to know how to prep. Yes. But I have solved that problem for you all. Yes. I made that book for 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 myself and then shared it with you. Never unprepared, of course, is a supplement that will help you with your prep. You definitely did a fine. I'll do it myself. Correct. (laughs) I solved the problem and I was like, I might as well share what I figured out. Sure. Okay. okay. Cool, cool. Cool. So for me, um, top of my list again is improv. Um, this is something that uh, in terms of supplements, what we're really talking about is um, facilitation of your practice of improv, right? Or learning about, you know, how to do it effectively. Um, the specific supplement I'm going to throw out there because I'm always recommending it is Improv for Gamers too, because um, it's a great book. What you will find in there is a lot of improv games that will specifically make you practice collaboration and creativity in the specific ways that we use it for tabletop games. Yeah. Are you not in that book somewhere? Yes, I am in that book. (laughs) Disclose your... Full disclosure, I have like two sentences in that book. (laughs) Just saying. Okay. Um, All right. So tactics, right? Um, There aren't too many supplements that help with tactics. Uh, There used to be one when I was younger. Uh, In the old Dragon magazines, there used to be these articles called The Ecology Of, and it would be like The Ecology of the Rust Monster, The Ecology of the Owl Bear. And it would be like a two, three, four page article all about one particular monster with details about like its life cycle and how it fights and all of that stuff. And those were actually pretty good when it comes to tactics. So I don't actually have a really good supplement for tactics. So I will throw this out there. If any of you have a good supplement for tactics, I would be interested. Yeah. And I will talk about it on the show. Yeah. I will just, I will also say that. Use it, right? I will definitely fucking use it. Yeah. So for me, recall is, um, is the thing that I struggle with, right? Um, I am a huge fan of cheat sheets. Um, and functionally that's both because supplementing in terms of actually using the cheat sheets is extremely helpful for me, but also the act of making a cheat sheet, um, is also 
a thing that really helps with my recall of games and game rules. So I will tend to prefer homemade because part of the cheat sheet for me is the action of creating the cheat sheet, forcing me to distill the information that I know I will forget and need, right? So one, I have written that article on Gnome Stew. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have 100% written the article about make your own cheat sheet. Make your own. It's my favorite. Uh, I will also say that I am the, um, I am the kind of person, I have this problem, that I can't just make a cheat sheet for the game. I have to make it in the style of the game. Like, I will go find the fonts. I will find the dressing and I will make them four blades in the dark. I did not like their cheat sheets. So I Mm -hmm. went and made my own. Yeah. But I made them. I had backed blades at the level where I got the InDesign files. Yeah. So you went in and grabbed the fonts. (laughs) I grabbed everything. I grabbed the dressing, the The fonts, all of it, and redid my own cheat sheets to the point where I was like, that is acceptable to me. Like this has what I want, where I want it, the way I want it. It's actually really funny because I do run a lot of lasers and feelings based games. And the first thing that I do in my notes at the top of my notes, every time I run that game is write down the stat that rolls up and write down the stat that rolls down. Because I promise you, even in a game that simple, I do not remember. And so it's at the top right-hand corner of every single lasers and feelings-based game that I've ever run. There's a little thing that says up this, down that, right? Um, and that's my cheat sheet for lasers and feelings. But I put it at I mean, the top right corner. It's legit, time. right? Right? Anyway, um, cool. So... Beyond that, also, of course, when we talk about cheat sheets, can't really talk about them without talking about GM screens, which were like the original GTRPG, you know, cheat sheet, right? So if that is another piece that is helpful to you, whether you stand it up or lay it down, right? Don't feel obliged to put it upright. You can use it as a cheat sheet and just have it flat. It's okay. Use it however it works for you. If yeah. you buy the PDF one. Yeah, then you just get it and you can print it out. <laughs> here's what you do. If you get the PDF one, you print them, and then you run them through your laminator. <laughs> oh, we're back to lamination now. Well, I have like I have I the I have the Cyberpunk Red GM screen, but I printed it all and put them, you know, two sided, and then laminated them. Yeah. And so now I have cheat sheets that you know sit on the side and they're not standing up, they're not in the way, but I have cheat sheets that I can just quick look at all the tables. Yeah. And they're they're um. GM screen is actually um, packed with useful information. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's interesting just because it's always interesting to see what the author of the um, game considered to be the most important stuff to have at your fingertips. Um, sometimes I agree with them and sometimes I don't. And it usually has to do with my recall and what is going to stick in my head and what's not, right? Because I want to write down the stuff that's not. Anyway, um, the other thing I'm going to throw out there, I'm going to count this as a homemade um, supplement is have a person at your table who is better at rules recall than you are, that you can ask them how a thing works. (laughs) That's Chris for me. It's Andy. (laughs) That's just, that's Chris. I have Chris in my game so that somebody knows how to run the game. Right, exactly. So it's all good. Yep. Uh, Cool. Where are we up to? Um, Improv, right? I love improv, but what do I do to supplement that? Name generators, right? I always have the link to some name generators, random encounter tables. And a thing that is at my table always is my short order hero cards. And unfortunately, they're not a thing you can get anymore, but they are just list of traits. So when I have to quick make up an NPC, I grab three cards at random, flip them over, and then I work those into the character description. Yeah, you really can't actually get them anymore. I sent money to a mysterious website trying to get them once and it disappeared into the ether. So come back. No, they never showed up. Um, so the next one for me is collaboration. So this, this is an interesting one because in terms of supplements to help you with collaboration, to make it happen, um, I'm actually going to say improv for gamers too, again, because improv requires collaboration. So if you want a, a, a way to have a conversation about it, information about making it happen at your table, and then again, practice exercises for you and your group to, um, to, to, to actually try it, practice it outside of the game, Improv for Gamers 2 is the thing that I will just throw out there again. 
Nice. Uh, lastly, complex NPCs, right? Stat block generators. Um, so is there a website that will help make bad guys for me? Like mm-hmm. if there is, I'm 100% interested. And then, of course, NPC supplement books. So does this uh, does does this publisher have an NPC book? Do they have some extra NPC stat blocks? Do Does somebody else have them? I will buy those. That yeah. is uh, that is a must for me. Awesome. Yeah. Um, the last one for me is scheduling games. So we didn't talk about this a, m- a bunch in terms of uh, what's in the game book itself because it falls mostly under this category of supplementing, right? Um, and the most useful thing for me with this has been things like doodle polls or other scheduling assistance where you can get people to just enter a bunch of times that work for them and then like compare things and you don't have to have a mile long conversation where everybody eventually just gives up and is like, fine, I I guess we don't really want to play this anyway. Ask me how I know. I've done this a couple ways this summer. One of them worked and one of them didn't. Um, So, so that's one of the things that I use. I also usually have a conversation channel for communication so that I have all of those people in the same place so that I can ping them with some sort of push notification all at the same time um, to be like, Hey, don't forget this thing is coming up. Um, So whatever that communication channel looks like for you, for me, it's usually Slack or Discord right now, but it could be any number of places depending on where your people are. Um, Shared calendar events so that it's on everyone's calendar and theoretically no one should forget, including me, or at least I can look up when it is and then be like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't plan to do this other thing on that date. Oopsies. Um, And then the other, the last thing I'll just say, and I know we actually talked about this reasonably recently when we talked about things that um, players could take on on behalf of GMs, especially when they're new, is again, supplement to another human. Use another human as your game supplement. Um, Just because you're GMing doesn't mean that you have to be the person responsible for scheduling. It frequently does mean that. And in my case, it it does mean that. But you can pass this task off to someone for whom it is easy. Yeah. Yeah, my group has kind of a distributed uh, role for this where uh, if somebody by like Tuesday hasn't sent out a message on Slack about confirming that we're still playing, somebody will throw it out there and just be like, hey, we're still playing on Sunday, like Sunday, right? Right. And then everybody chimes in. Yeah. Yep. So sometimes I do it. Sometimes like Glenn does it and depends. And and it's totally fine. Like it's, it's very much a distributed task in my group. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, This one went long again, but we are not going to do a part three. We got through all of our material. We're just going to go very fast. So I just want to remind you um, after you have discovered your GM brain, right? Remember the big three areas, the effect of your GM brain on your style, how to evaluate games based on your brain and using supplements to fill in for the areas where a game does not help you, but you still want to be able to play that game. Yeah. Okay. Those are our three things. Send it. We're going to do this super fast. Tell me about a show on the network, and then I'm going to blast us through the closing. Sounds good. So on the Gnomecast, several gnomes from Gnomes 2 get together to talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew, which is much more dangerous now because I hear that the trapdoor in the bottom of the stew pot is in fact sealed. Some jerk closed it. <laughs> <laughs> How dare. How dare. <laughs> so rude. Okay, cool. Listen, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? And it is just one answer now. Yeah, it's so good. You can find us in all of the places that you can find us um, at misdirectedmark.com slash panda. That has links to all of our social media, our email, our forums, everything you could possibly want. Just go there and, you know, we'll actually keep updating that as it changes. Excellent. And once you have done that, leave us a topic, a question, an idea, something that you are struggling with, something that you would like to get better at. And let us put our many decades of GMing, our many decades of GMing, as well as our GMing advice to work for you. Now, if you like all that or you like other things on the network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to Patreon campaign slash MMP. Patreon. Patreon.com slash MMP went too fast there (laughs) Uh, and sign up. There's all sorts of things. You're going to get into the Slack room, but there's even more. And you know what? I normally tell you what they are, but this time I'm going to tell you to go look. Mm -hmm. There's more things if you Mm -hmm. go look, but get into the Slack room. Come chat with us. Come hang out with us. Come have a Friday lunch with us if you're so inclined. Okay. 
Um, if you're already backing our Patreon, thank you very much. If you're unable to back our Patreon, we understand completely, but there is a thing you can do. Helps us out. Doesn't cost anything except for a little bit of your time. Senda, what is that thing? Well, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, or you can just tell a friend. Anybody who happens to be looking on whatever social media platform you're on or just in general, um, if they say words like, I'm looking for a system agnostic podcast that talks about lots of different games. Hi, here we are. Let them know. That's us. Yeah. 100%. Cool. Awesome. Okay, great. Uh, Say Senda, Mm -hmm. what supplement should I buy next for my cyberpunk campaign? This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloop! Yeah. Clicky it is. I see your clicky and raise you another clicky. I do need a drink of water before we yeah, actually get into... Yeah, water would be great. Oh, I can't even open this like me. Everything's so... Hang on. Oh, there we go. I just I'm a I'm a flip top straw girl myself, and most of the time that works in my favor until I get on an airplane and then it's like now this is my um what you call it? this is my um camelback with the cap so yeah. that it can't spill if it falls over because it sits on my uh work desk. Mm-hmm. Well it's actually I mean it's really hard at like whoop, I can get some of it out, but like it's not easy to get a ton of water out of my straw one. Yeah. But, um, but I also like, I am the kind of person, so I have a straw one <clears throat> for my desk at work because my laptop sits on a shelf above it. Mm-hmm. So if it fell over, like nothing would happen. But here, like I have both my mini and my work laptop, like sitting on the sitting desk. right on the table and all that. So I use the one that's closed up because also I don't always remember to consistently drink. So I take a drink and then like for a half hour, this bottle just gets ignored and sits to the side. So I kind of like it so that if it just gets bumped or tipped, it doesn't matter. I'm going to have to get this like Ed all the way upside down before water comes out of it. So, yes. I mean, this is the one that I can also fly with. It's my encoded designs one. Like I said, I totally do fly with this one. And then the inside of my backpack is all wet and I'm sad. I will also give a shout out really quick to Camelback because I bought these water bottles like five years ago and had custom, had the custom logo put on them. Oh, yeah. And it's still there going strong. It's like you can't even tell that um like it shows no signs of wear and i dish yeah. like and i like you know i put this thing in the dishwasher like i don't hand yeah. wash this thing i just toss it in the dishwasher it's fucking amazing next time i get a camelback even if i'm not getting one with like the encoded logo or whatever like i just put some artwork i own on it like yeah. i'm doing that like i'm just gonna like i'm gonna go take like one of the character cash fo- like pictures and just stick it Neat. on a water bottle I, I have go. um I have a recommendation for some art we could put on water bottles. Yeah. It's it's pandas. I would love a panda water bottle, actually. <laughs> we should actually maybe talk about there that. There are two pandas. There are two pandas. We have art. We need to uh we need to talk to Megan about um using yes. that. I mean, we own it, don't we? No, it was gifted to us. Oh, then we'll ask. Remember, like we need to, I, and I've had part nope. of this conversation with her before. We need to just sort no, it no, out. No, that's fine. If it's gifted to us, then we absolutely, like for yeah. the things that I have purchased, like for the character cash, like. Oh, I, I have mean, the, if we own it, we own it. But I have but the we, rights we, to do the, that stuff. We don't actually. <laughs> All right. Let's get us moving. We got some work to do and both of us want a nap. So yes. Let's go. Let's get, let's get to it. Let's go to the mall. Bloop. All right. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. We are uh, working away here just a little later than our target time, but not super late. So I'm actually pretty happy with that. And my energy is, while I'm ready for a nap, my energy is more up than it normally is, has been the last couple of weeks. Anyway, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. Let's get aligned first. We'll do our sound thing and then we'll kick this thing off. Okay. Bloop. Brains. I think I'm going to get ice cream tonight. I feel like I, I feel like I deserve ice cream tonight. I, I might have gotten house. ice cream last night after also getting pizza 
I did admittedly also have a salad with my pizza, which was probably good of me, but also like salad with my pizza. Street corn pizza with smoky crema and cotija and jalapenos. It was delicious. I'll make some cheesesteaks tonight. I'll make Mm -hmm. some cheesesteaks and tater tots, nothing fancy. I wanted to kind of take it easy today. And then tomorrow and Monday, I have all the fixings to make the bee sting. Yeah. This is a, I, this, this bagel sandwich, um, I love so much. So it is, um, for Ryan an everything bagel with scallion cream cheese on the bottom, egg, cheese, bacon, and then hot honey, hot, and then make it into a sandwich. It is a mess. You have to eat the thing. It's like a rodeo between the everything bagel and the scallion cream cheese and all of that. And the, and the honey. honey. It like is a, everything's sticky. You just you don't, you can't touch anything. Like you just have to sit hunched over the table eating it mm-hmm. like a, like, you know, like a monster. Can't um, put it down. <laughs> but it is like salty and sweet and spicy. And like it hits like every one, it hits every note in the palate. Oh my mm-hmm. God. It's so good. Bloop. <laughs> that's okay only ryan heard that <laughs> someday there's gonna be a different podcast <laughs> maybe ryan will edit that one too <laughs> yeah i don't know ryan what are you into anyway uh moving right along moving along <laughs> moving right along Bloop. yeah okay can I just tell you that I went back mm. and listened to our episode because since this was a two-parter, I wanted to make sure yeah. I heard the last part. Sure. And I don't normally listen to the intro music. I forgot sure. what a fucking banger. It's a, it's a of, banger. I forgot yeah. how good of a job I did finding that intro music. You did. It's awesome. Like yes. every now and then I just go listen to the whole song. Yeah. Which involves watching the weird music video, which we've definitely <laughs> talked about before. <laughs> Yes, but, I've, but I forgot, like but. our opening is a real fucking banger. Like it really, anyway. Okay. <laughs> Compose yourself. I'm composed. Bloop. Show me what you got. 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 Uh, uh, t-